The Bible does reference specific spirits, just to name a few. Familiar spirits, unclean spirits, evil spirits, seducing spirits, lying spirits, and antichrist spirit. There are references to such things as the spirit of jealousy, which would describe an emotional state rather than a demonic entity. In fact, many spirits that are said to require deliverance ministry are identified in Scripture as works of the flesh. That's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Jealousy is one of those listed here. So, who are we to believe? It would seem that some have a hunger and thirst more for the demonic and the supernatural than for Jesus Christ, His Word, and His righteousness. And when we assign a demon to every action and every response, we remove the truth of sin, the need for repentance, and the painful truth of personal accountability. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. There be fallacious spirits here. That was the title of my most recent blog post I did is about spirits that are talked about in some of the charismatic churches that may be assigned to people. Some people may disagree with this, but I'll just tell you from the perspective where I came from. So when these spirits are talked about, they're not talked about just in assigning personality traits, though some people would like to think that. There are people that actually believe that people are going around inhabited by um, a Jezebel spirit or a Judas spirit. And these things are ministered from pulpits all the time. And so people will, will say, well, this person, yes, they may be exhibiting these personality traits, but they have a Jezebel spirit and they need deliverance ministry. And that is insinuating that that person has a demon that's indwelling them, a born again believer. And so I have manuals that I had from years ago where I sat under teachings like this that were that the actual title of it was demonology and talked about the Jezebel spirit, the Absalom spirit, the Judas spirit, the religious spirit, the orphan spirit, all these different ones. And so I want to talk a little bit about this today and give a little bit of pushback for people that may say, well, you know, there are spirits in the Bible. I read in the beginning of this an excerpt from my blog post from last week about that there are specific spirits named in the Bible. We see that there's a reference to familiar spirits, to the unclean spirit, to evil spirits, and we even see the antichrist spirit that's referenced in first John. Though that there are spirits in fact named in the Bible, that doesn't make it prescriptive that we are to go looking through the Bible or and trying to find other spirits to name or to even name erroneous spirits that don't even exist. I've heard people talk about, they'll make up other spirits. They'll talk about a peacock spirit or they'll talk about the spirit of a dead person that's listed in scripture, and they'll create a doctrine around it. And it really is a doctrine that's created. You see it rampant in some of these areas of the church. The question is, is this biblical? And is this something that is prescriptive for a Christian to do? Or is this something that's descriptive in scripture that we are supposed to recognize? Yes, there were evil people in scripture, such as Jezebel, who was a wicked woman, who was a, a priestess for Baal and did horrible things and persecuted and killed the true prophets of God during the time of Elijah and threatened Elijah himself after what he did on Mount Carmel. 
But does that mean that because that woman existed, that her spirit is still in operation as a demon today in people? People will even use Revelation 2.20. They'll go there and they'll talk about how the church there is chastised. Let's look at that scripture real quick. We're just going to dive right in today and talk a little bit about this. I'm not sure how long this podcast is going to go. It may be a little shorter. It may be one of the longer ones I've done. So we'll see how this goes. But we're going to talk about this. And again, the whole point is to get you and I both back to scripture, back to what the word of God says in context, and to be a good Berean, to make sure that what we're being taught is so, whether I'm telling you something on this podcast, or you're listening to a qualified pastor, or someone that's leading a church, that they are teaching you what the word of God says in context. That is the responsibility for you and I as a believer in Christ to make sure that what we are being fed and taught is the truth. So Revelation chapter 2 is one of the rebukes, one of the messages that Jesus Christ himself sends to one of the churches. In fact, this was the first church he addressed was in uh, chapter 2 was Ephesus. So then we go on to Smyrna, we go on to Pergamum, we go on to Thyatira. And Thyatira is the church to which he addresses this woman named Jezebel. So let's go to Revelation chapter 2 verse 19. Jesus Christ himself says to the church at Thyatira, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, take note of that, that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my spirit, my, who is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And we can read on from there that there continues to be this rebuke and this statement of a curse of striking her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. So as we can see here, this is not mentioning any, any, in any way that this is a spirit. Jesus is referencing this woman, whether she acted like Jezebel in the Old Testament, again, having traits like that does not equal having a spirit or a demon that needs to be delivered or addressed. That is not the same thing. So we don't know if this woman was actually named Jezebel or if he was calling her Jezebel because she related to some of the things, the other Jezebel, the other person, the other woman that's listed in first Kings. So so we see here, there's two different women here and that the church in Thyatira at that time in that moment was allowing this woman to conduct herself in the church and she was seducing people into sexual immorality and sacrificing to idols, which was against God. Those were sinful things against God and he took that very seriously. Now, again, I'm coming back to this point of saying, notice it says woman. It does not say you've tolerated that spirit, Jezebel, in your church. It says you've tolerated that woman. It does not say that he's going to throw that spirit on a sick bed. It does not say that he's going to deal with that spirit in a certain way at that point because of that church. It says he's dealing with that woman because she has refused to repent. 
the question, when I started reading this, one of the first questions that came to my mind when I'm reading this is, so we have a teaching that there are spirits in the church that are just running rampant. And that apparently that Je- the Jezebel spirit is everywhere, right? Which would imply, to, if, if I'm understanding correctly, it would imply omnipresence. But that's only prescribed to God. And we know that the devil wants to be like God and he wants to appear like he's everywhere all the time, but he's not. There's demons everywhere. And of course, people's flesh plays a role in what's going on and we live in a fallen world. So it's not just the devil. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent and he's not omnipotent, even though he would like to people to believe that he is, though he's not. So we have this going on where people are assigning specific spirits and they're saying, well, Jezebel's everywhere. Jezebel's in your church. And so we're teaching these things within the church that people have demons, again, that they have evil spirits. Rather than teaching them, you are working in the flesh You have sexual immorality, maybe that's working in the flesh. You have jealousy or envy and strife and division. And these things need to be repented of. The the flesh needs to be crucified. You need to be brought into under subjection to the word of God. And if you are truly a child of God and you've received salvation, then you're going to want to be led by the Holy Spirit and to be continually subjected, subjecting yourself daily to the word of God and to sancti- being sanctified by Christ through the leading of his Holy Spirit. But this is not what's being taught. So you're seeing here that these spirits are being stated to people. If you question a leader, then you have a religious spirit. Well, you're just trying to quench the Holy Spirit. You have a religious spirit. You're going to struggle today to, and in the, in the days after you hear this podcast, if you're hearing it, you're going to struggle to find some of these spirits that are listed in scripture. There's no listing of a religious spirit in scripture. And some people are going to say, well, what about Pharisees? Pharisees had a religious spirit. You're not going to find that in scripture. Religion is not a bad thing. In fact, James talks about pure religion when he talks about how to conduct oneself as a Christian. And so religion in and of itself, if it's the right focus, meaning that it's God-centered, it's Christ-centered, it's focused on the truth based on what the Word of God testifies of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and who the Holy Spirit is. That's the pure religion and the pure religion of doing and conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So religion is not a bad word. But what we've had here is we've had people assigning these certain spirits. And I'm just going to say this and, and be blunt about it and as, at the same time be as gentle as I can. I believe that coming out of this, there are spirits that are assigned to people. And it's done so in a way to put fear in people. It's done in a way to silence people. It's done in a way to shut down any questioning. It's done in such a way to basically control and manipulate people. Whether it's done advertently or inadvertently, that's the way it's conducted. Because when someone brings questions, for example, and they're told, well, you have a religious spirit. So that's why you think that you're better than other people. So again, we come back to the Pharisees. Let's circle around back around to the Pharisees. People are going to say, what about the Pharisees? Well, Pharisees knew the law and they had Jesus Christ in the flesh in front of them. And yet they rejected him. So they were religious in a way because they were focusing on the law and they were rejecting Christ, which they were fulfilling scripture because scripture said that his own would reject him. At the same time, they also prescribed to oral tradition. 
And oral tradition was adding on extra burdens to the people in that time that they could not fulfill. So they already were under the law that they could not fulfill because they were sinful people. And the law was revealing their sin. That's what the law does. It reveals our sin and it reveals our depravity and our need for a savior. The Pharisees, they knew the law, but they also, and they didn't follow it, but they also prescribed oral tradition to the people even then for them to follow, like hand washing and, and other things like that, that were just passed down by oral tradition. I would make a note here that some of the things that are being taught outside of scripture in some of the churches that are prescribing to, well, you have a Jezebel spirit or you have a religious spirit or you have an orphan spirit, which I want to talk about the orphan spirit in just a second for believers in Christ and give you something encouraging from the word to think about with that. When you hear these things taught, a lot of times things are being regurgitated because that's just what's been taught in these churches. And so when you sat under these teachings for months or years, that's what you begin to parrot and regurgitate without going back to scripture and seeing, well, what does scripture have to say about this? And I know that because I was one of those people. I sat under these teachings for years. I was fed this teaching for years and did not question it. And then when I go back to scripture, I'm going, hmm, that's interesting. You don't find a lot of these spirits that people are talking about. It's almost as if these things are conjured up in order to try to manipulate, control people. Because if you tell people, well, this is how a Jezebel spirit works, and she's going to try to exert power over authority. And so if you have someone in your church that, whether man or woman, that is doing A, B, and C, then there's two options. And I was taught this. There's two options. Either that person has to leave or the pastor has to leave. Where is that in scripture? Where is that? That's not found in scripture. The Jezebel spirit is not found in scripture. The Ahab spirit is not found in scripture. The Judas spirit is not found in scripture. And let me just give some encouragement here as well. If you're facing someone that's betrayed you, they're not Judas. There's only one Judas, and he betrayed the risen Savior. He betrayed Jesus Christ, and he was prophesied of in Scripture, even in the Old Testament, that he would betray Christ. He had a place to fulfill. Yes, Christ chose him as one of his disciples, but he chose him knowing that he had a devil, that he was full of the devil, that, that Satan came into Judas, is what the Scripture tells us in the Gospels, and that he betrayed Christ. And that in Acts, it talks about even when Peter is addressing about Judas and they're replacing him because they were having 12 apostles. And those apostles, again, had prerequisites. If you've listened to any of my other podcasts about the prerequisites for an apostle, a true apostle of Christ, then you'll know what that prerequisite is, is that they had one of the main prerequisites was, is that that apostle had to have witnessed the resurrection of Christ, had to have walked in his, in his earthly ministry and witnessed his resurrection in order to be an apostle. When people talk about, well, you know, there's a teaching, there's actual teachings out there that you can listen to, webinars and all these kinds of things that talk about the Judas spirit. There's no Judas spirit in the Bible. So be encouraged, be relieved. You don't have a Judas spirit. There's no Judas spirit assigned to you. We live in a fallen world and people are going to disappoint us. They're going to betray us. They're going to say nasty things about us. They're, we're going to be persecuted. We are not promised the primrose path. We are promised that we will endure things. But we are as believers in Christ are to take heart for Jesus has overcome the world. He is victorious. He is always victorious, by the way, regardless of what we face in our life, regardless of the outcome. 
Christ is victorious. God never loses. We have a, a misconceived idea that in order for God to win, that our desired outcome has to take place. And that's not the case at all because Christ wins. Christ wins when he judges at the end of time. Christ wins already because of the, he's been resurrected. God wins every time because God is sovereign. So let's get back on track with our topic today of there be fallacious spirits. So as I was saying, when we talk about Judah's spirit, these are talked about um, extra biblically. There's revelation given. There's even personality traits that people will come up with that they've said the Holy Spirit has revealed to them, which is interesting because when you go to do like an Amazon search, for example, on some of these spirits, such as if you were to look up the Jezebel spirit, um, I had written about this about a, a, over a year ago. And so that number has gone up since I had first researched this out. But if you were to look up the Jezebel spirit in Amazon and do an advanced search on books, of that talk about the Jezebel spirit. Today, you're going to find 317 books that talk about the Jezebel spirit. And I would dare say that if you read a handful of those books or more, you're going to find that people are differing in what they say about the traits of Jezebel. They're not all going to agree. They're not all going to agree on the Leviathan spirit and what the, the personality traits are. They're not going to agree on the Python spirit. They're not going to agree on Judas, on Absalom. There's going to be varying traits. So who are we to listen to? Uh, who is the authority on this if if people can't agree on the personality traits? And furthermore, where are they getting their information from? Because they're certainly not getting it from Scripture. They're eisegeting things and reading into the passage rather than reading it in context and exegeting the passage properly. And so we have people in churches that are in spiritual bondage because of the teachings that are going on. And they're being held captive by these things rather than learning and understanding what it means to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, rather than being afraid all the time. Oh, I don't want to have a Jezebel spirit. Well, if you're a born again believer in Christ and you've re been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and you've been redeemed by Christ because he atoned for your sins on the cross, you don't need to be fearful of some spirit jumping on you and overpowering you and you operating in all these other erroneous spirits that aren't mentioned in scripture at the moment of salvation the holy spirit comes to indwell you john 14 16 talks about this when jesus told his disciples he told his disciples that when he left he would send a helper who would be with them forever what does forever mean it means to no end that he would not leave he would not leave them so we don't need to be fearful of this. What we need to be doing is focusing on what the Bible says in truth, understanding it in spirit and in truth, and discerning properly and going before the Lord in prayer and asking God, is there any way in me that's unpleasing to you? Reveal it to me. And you know what? The word reveals it to us. It tells us over and over again, the works of the flesh, that we can know that it's not a jealousy spirit or a spirit of anger that has to be, that we have to be delivered from in a manner of trying to cough up some demon and vomit something out in a service where someone's laying hands on us. No, we need pastors and leaders, godly men to come alongside us that know what the word of God says, and they can say to the flock of God, hey, this, this sheep 
Hey, you sheep, I'm talking to you. You know, you've come to me for counsel. You're dealing with anger. And the word tells us in Galatians that that's a work of the flesh. And so the word tells us what we need to do with that. We are to repent of our sins. We are to go to Christ. We are to be conformed to his image. We are to be led by the spirit and not by the works of the flesh. We are to go to those that we need to and apologize for our anger. Do you know, there are times as a parent, I would like to say that I always keep my temper at an even keel, but there are times having, whether young children, I have young children, we, my husband and I have young children, but as even having young children, that there are times that surprise, surprise, that you can have a fit of anger or that you can get irritated and that you can raise your voice and then you realize, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I said that in anger. That's not a spirit that I have to have cast out. And that's not a spirit that you have to have cast out. That's called a work of the flesh that needs to be crucified and it needs to be brought under. And you bring that under by going to your child and showing an example and repenting. And I've done that before to my daughter. Yes, she's five years old, but I go to her and I'll say, mommy, sorry for raising my voice. Mommy, sorry for getting irritated. That wasn't right. That doesn't set a good example for you. And I'm sorry. And you know what we teach in our house? We teach to say, I forgive you. I heard another minister say that before. And I saw that. I thought that was such a great example. We don't say that's okay. And I've heard her say that to me before. And I told her, don't say it's not okay. It's not okay for mommy to act like that. Please forgive me for acting like that. I want to set a good example, a good godly example for you. And so we have been teaching to say, I forgive you, because that is the appropriate response to say, rather than just dismissing or winking at our behavior and saying, eh, it's okay. No, I forgive you. Or if she comes to me and I know that she's done something and we're talking about it and talking about what's happened wrong, then I will tell her, I forgive you. I forgive you. There are churches that are not teaching this. They're not teaching to deal with these things in a biblical manner. They're teaching it in a superstitious, extra biblical, new age type way, I would say. And I know that people are going to not like me saying that, but some of this stuff is new age practices. And some of it's not even, I mean, this is not even biblical practice to tell a born again believer, you have a spirit of anger and you need to cough it up. Like literally, physically, you need to cough it up. You need to have deliverance ministry. You're not going to find that. In scripture, that's not how you handle that. That's how you had that. That's how you keep people in bondage over and over and over again. And they don't realize that the word of God has the answers for them for proper instruction on how to conduct themselves and being trained up in righteousness. That's where we need to be leading people back to and not our own books that have been written about all these fallacious spirits that don't exist. You talk about Jezebel. That's one of the biggest ones. So Again, I'm circling back. You go and you find 317 books now written today as of uh, this time about Jezebel, but they can have conflicting information in them. You'll hear ministers talk about Leviathan spirit, and one of them will say how he killed Leviathan spirit because he prayed, and then another one's still writing books about Leviathan. Well, which is it? Is Leviathan dead, or is he still running rampant? And that's because Leviathan was a creature that's mentioned in Job. But yet there's doctrines that have been formed around this to teach that there are spirits like this. People will teach about the religious spirit, as we've talked about. People will teach about the orphan spirit. Now, I want to touch on that a little bit because there are books and things written about the orphan spirit. 
And I get that people can deal with being rejected in the natural by parents I, and other people. I get that there can be hurt. There can be these things that if people haven't had a father figure in their life or a mother figure in their life to give them proper nurturing or proper guidance and instruction and authority, then sometimes that can cause people to have issues later on that they have authority in school with teachers, with principals, they have authority with uh, coaches, they have authority in the church because they don't understand proper biblical authority in the sense of what a pastor is supposed to do, what elders are supposed to do. But you're going to see people talk about an, an orphan spirit. And so I've heard this teaching as well. And so whenever people also, it, it's funny because they'll also, it's, it's almost as if people are assigned a hodgepodge of spirits. So whenever you question authority, it's, well, you have a religious spirit. And then there's also an orphan spirit at play because because the Lord revealed it to me. So that type of language will be used. And when you say the Lord revealed it to me, then that again, that's another way to shut people down and to say, God spoke to me, the Lord, I'm saying the Lord revealed it to me through prayer, then it's not to be questioned. Everything like that is to be questioned if we're saying that God said something, because we need to make sure that what is being assigned to God is not dishonoring him. So when we talk about an orphan spirit, sometimes this will be assigned to people as well. Well, you have a problem with authority or abandonment, um, rebellion. So you have an orphan spirit. There's an orphan spirit. The Lord revealed to me there's an orphan spirit in this in this church or in this, this congregation or this, these people or this person. And this is why, this is how it needs to be dealt with. Scripture does not teach about an orphan spirit. Again, I'm going to ask this question. Where do we find this teaching in Scripture about an orphan spirit? Where do we find this teaching in Scripture about a Jezebel spirit, an Absalom spirit, a Python spirit? We do, we do see the Python spirit in Acts uh, 16. We do see that, that there was a spirit assigned to this girl at the temple of Delphi who was said to be, when you study this, she was probably a priestess that was used there, and the Python that they... Uh, was and in fact in that temple um, was an, an image of a snake. That does not mean that we create doctrines around this and assign this and say, well, the python is squeezing our finances or it's squeezing our marriages or whatever we want to say. And we're not finding any of this in scripture. This is a description in Acts 16 of Paul addressing this woman who had this spirit, this slave girl, after so many days. He tolerated it and put up with it, even though she was ministering the truth, but she was not ministering it from the Holy Spirit. And he addressed it. And because of what he did, he was put in prison for it. So this one question, another question I have is the biggest one that I think of now out of being out of all this teaching. Why are we teaching this stuff in churches? Why are we teaching people about the demonology and these spirits and focusing on this, this stuff? And you're going to think, well, you're focusing on it right now. I'm focusing on it because it needs to be addressed because I'm hoping that there will be people that will hear this podcast and that they will begin to start questioning this teaching, this doctrines, and they'll go back to what scripture has to say in context and that they'll be set free because this is, this is bringing bondage and captivity to people because people are ever afraid. I've ran into these people. I've talked to them. I, they've emailed me. They've talked to me. They've said, I've been concerned that I have a Jezebel spirit because of this teaching that's going around. I am concerned that I have this spirit or that spirit. I don't want to have that. And they're fearful of man rather than fearful of God. And they, they don't understand the proper context of scripture, what they're being taught, because it's just this, this doctrine that's being fed continuously. And we're seeing people that are well known and we don't question it. Or we're seeing up and coming people that want to be well known and we're not, they're not, we're not questioning it. 
because we're afraid to, because there's been this indoctrination of this culture of honor, this culture of fear, this culture of, well, you don't touch God's anointed, all this stuff that's been abused, taken out of context, instead of doing what the Bible says to do, come let us reason. We're telling people not to reason and use their brains. We're telling them when they do that, they're religious. And I would say anybody who tells you that, they're going against scripture. Never does the Bible tell us to to abandon our brain and abandon our critical thinking. No, we are to open our Bibles and we are to read our Bibles and we are to discern properly and rightly divide the word and make sure that what we're being taught is the truth because we are responsible for that. Each of us are going to have to give an account before God and we need to take that seriously. And so when we have these teachings, my question is the biggest question I have aside from where is this in scripture? Where is that in scripture is why are we teaching in churches? Why are we drilling this into people in churches that they have to watch out for these spirits all the time and that if they have anything manifest in themselves like this or people they know that that say that they're Christian, that they need to have deliverance done? Why are we teaching this? Why are we not opening up the Bible and teaching people from the epistles? Instead, if you want to teach them how to conduct themselves, why are we not seeing that being taught? Why are we not seeing proper exegesis of scripture and telling people how to conduct themselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel? I keep saying that because it's in scripture repetitively. Paul says it several times, telling the, those in the, the churches in Ephesus and Galatia and other in these other churches to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He doesn't tell them to create a deliverance ministry, and he doesn't tell them to go cough up a demon. He tells them to put their flesh under and to conduct themselves in such a way that they are led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So when we go back to this orphan spirit, this is taught to, to basically tell people, you're questioning, you have a problem with authority, there's an orphan spirit at play here that's in operation, and we need to deal with it. And I would just give pushback to that based on scripture. And there's one simple scripture that I will give. And it's John chapter 14. I'm going to turn there and read it to you. This should bring great peace to some people when you think about, do I have an orphan spirit? If you have a problem with authority, if you have a problem with following godly, and I'm saying godly counsel, if you have a problem following godly counsel, people that are actually showing you properly what's in scripture and they're teaching you they're good they're qualified pastors they're godly men they're wanting to lead you into all truth and to protect you from falsehoods they want to protect you from false doctrine they want to protect you from the the things that are not the truth if you have a problem in general with authority whether it's your parents which scripture tells us we are to honor our mother and father likewise it tells parents not to stir their children to wrath if, if you have a problem with authority in any capacity, that's a sin. That doesn't mean you have a demon. Now, on a side note, as I've talked about before, are there demons? Yes. Is that what we're talking about today? No, it's not. But demons do exist, and Satan's real, and we covered all that a couple weeks ago. But the orphan spirit is not mentioned in Scripture. But yet there will be doctrines that will be made around this that will say, well, you're a believer. You're a believer in Christ. Again, these teachings are being taught to Christians. It's not outside the four walls of people going to unbelievers and saying that you have a Jezebel spirit, which still, it's not found in Scripture. But yet we're telling people, you have this spirit. You have a demon that needs to be cast out, and you're a born-again believer. There's a problem there, okay? 
And then when we say that someone has an orphan spirit, instead of telling them you have an issue with rejection in a natural sense, you have an issue with rebellion, you have an issue with authority, these are sinful ways, you need to repent of this, you need to turn to Christ, you need to get your mind renewed by the Word of God, and you need to know what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ and be led by the Holy Spirit and teach them what the Word of God says instead of making up erroneous doctrine that cannot be found in Scripture and is only keeping more people in shackles than it is in freedom. That's what it boils down to. And so when you see this orphan spirit being taught, you're going to see something here. John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus told his disciples, John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus told his disciples this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, prior to this, this is when he's telling them in verse 16, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus himself told his disciples and essentially us as believers to encourage us. We can see this, that this applies to us as believers in Christ at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Jesus said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. So explain to me, how can we reconcile this teaching of an orphan spirit to Christians when Jesus told his disciples and it ministers to us even today, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send my Holy Spirit to indwell you. You're not going to be forsaken. You're not going to be alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I want you to think about that. He's not leaving us as orphans. There's not an orphan spirit. As a believer in Christ, there's not an orphan spirit. Do we have emotions that we deal with where we felt abandoned and rejected by people? We absolutely do because you know what? People are fallible. You and I are fallible, sinful people. We are going to fail somebody every single day. I am going to fail my children or my husband in some way, shape, or fashion, whether it's a little, even a little thing. We live in a fallen world. You and I are going to fail people every day. You and I are going to disappoint people. We are potentially going to abandon people and not even mean to, or we may mean to. (laughs) We are going to do things that are going to hurt people every day, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And as believers in Christ, we are to humble ourselves And to repent before those people when it's necessary to seek forgiveness and to seek God above all things and to ask him to search our hearts and to know us, to test us in all our ways and to conform us to his image daily and to not think so highly of ourselves that we think that we're above correction or that we think we're above sin or that we think we're above mistakes because we're not. We are to be held accountable, we are to hold ourselves accountable, and we are to desire what the Word says, and to glorify God in all things that we do, and to not be in fear all the time that, you know, if I am jealous, or, you know, if you're envious of someone, or if we're angry or things, then to think, oh my gosh, I've got to have deliverance ministry done, because I had this spirit of anger that has to be addressed, and I have to cough it up, and, you know, I read this book about, that it talks about that I've got to do this, and I've got to recant this, and renounce this, and, you know, I've got to command it to leave me. Where? Is that in scripture? Where is that? I laugh because these are things that I used to believe to a certain point. 
And now I never believe that you had to cough something up. There's some people that actually do believe that. But I used to have this, Christians needed deliverance, that Christians could have a Jezebel spirit. And I repent for thinking those things and speak and teaching those things and saying those things to born again believers. When what really should have been happening was opening up the Bible to that person I was talking about and saying, no, this is what scripture says. It says that your conduct right here, your immorality right here, it's a sinful behavior and you need to repent of it. You need to repent. But that's not something that's taught uh, broadly in some churches because that word is not a, a word people want to hear. And it's not a flashy word people want to hear. People don't want to hear that they have to repent. People don't want to hear they about this. No, they want to read about fallacious spirits that can help them to avoid accountability. And that's the truth. We don't want to take accountability. Um, we want to, and the supernatural is far more interesting than talking about sin and repentance and the wrath of God and uh, our need for a savior and our unrighteousness and how we need to be clothed in his righteousness and being sanctified daily by his spirit and, and walking in the truth and not in our flesh and not in the, in, in sinful ways. So these other things are great to talk about. And, you know, we could go on and on. We could talk about other spirits. You know, the Absalom spirit is something that was also taught in the circles I ran in. And I would just encourage you to, Go back and read in the Old Testament about Absalom, uh, who was the son of David, and what happened. And essentially after, this is just a fun fact for you before we end this. When you see, well, not so much a fun fact, but just an interesting fact. When you see what David did with Bathsheba and the sin that he committed, I I don't know also, too, why we're not, um, you know, for all the talk of like a Delilah spirit and all this stuff, I don't know why we don't talk about uh, David having a split personality spirit or something and and that need to be cast out. But usually David is revered and exalted. But notice that David was a sinful man. He was a sinful, fallible man who committed adultery, who had another woman's husband killed because he could not get the situation manipulated the way he wanted in order to look as if that her husband had impregnated her. Instead, he orchestrated this whole plan and he thought that it was, he forgot that God saw it for one thing, and he orchestrated it to where he could have Bathsheba and have the baby that they had out of wedlock and out of an adulterous affair, and he thought that it was a done, sealed deal until Nathan the prophet came to him and gave him an analogy of a sheep being taken from this one man by the other man that had a bunch of sheep to be used for a feast, and David became angry and said that man need to be dealt with, and Nathan rebukes David and says, you are that man, and he goes on to tell David, this is what's going to happen to you because of what you did privately, and because he was the king of Israel, this will be laid out to Israel publicly, and what happened? Nathan prophesied about what was going to happen within David's own family and the the turmoil that would happen within David's own family, and one of those things was that David's son Absalom would take his Uh, his dad's, his father's wives, his concubines before Israel into a tent on top of a rooftop and have relations with them. Nathan prophesied of that. And yet we see teachings and doctrines being made about an Absalom spirit rebelling against authority, rebelling against David, doing all these things and conspiring to undermine him and undo this when it was prophesied by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan spoke on behalf of God, let me remind you. And he was, when he spoke on behalf of God, um, we are reminded in scripture that in Isaiah 55, that God's words come back to him and 
they are not void. So when Samuel and the other prophets spoke, their words, it says Samuel's words did not fall to the ground. It was not because of who Samuel was. This is just a little bonus thing for you. It's not because of who Samuel was. It was because of who God was. And prophets of God don't miss it. Just a little nugget there for you. But Nathan prophesied to David. So did he prophesy an Absalom's spirit into being? No, he did not. Absalom was a sinful, wicked man who did things against his own father. He paid the consequences for it. And he also fulfilled the prophecy that God gave Nathan that would basically be part of the consequences of David's sin, his adulterous affair, having a baby out of wedlock and him murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Those are just some things to think about. I would encourage you to go back in scripture and to look at that, that particular passage, read it in context. If you've heard me say this before, you'll hear me say it again. If you ever hear a verse, one verse, one isolated verse, please do this. Please open your Bible, whether it's in that service or after the service, when you get home, write that verse down, go back and look at that verse and read at least a dozen verses before it and a dozen after it, at least, and see what it is in context and see if that's what was being taught and make sure that you're understanding the word of God properly. I'll just leave you with this. Personally, as of someone who came out of all this and understanding the Bible more and more and understanding that my own weakness and that I need Christ, because when I am weak, he is strong. I am reminded of what Paul talks about that. Paul demonstrated his weakness And he realized that even when he was weak, that God was strong, that he was strengthened. The Lord strengthened him in his weakness. And so we are all weak, whether we want to admit it or not. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the gospel is to understand who we are without Christ and our need for a Savior. That without him, our sins, they're not forgiven without him. They're not forgiven. And there's no way to the Father without Christ. There's no way to come before the throne of grace boldly and to to pray and petition God and to ask for forgiveness every day, to repent daily when we need to, to pray the Lord's Prayer, to seek him in all of our ways. There's no way, there's no way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And for all the things that I was once taught and having to unlearn those and unlearning them by scripture (laughs) and learning them by opening up the Bible and reading it and understanding the Bible is truth. It is alive and it's an, and it's active and it's discerning. It's dividing the truth from the error. It's dividing those things and it's helping us to see the truth and to not walk in such a way that we're not glorifying God. And after coming out of all this stuff and learning this, this is what I want to leave you with. I, I personally, I am not going to spend my time and I do not want to spend my time chasing spirits that are non-existent and that are trying to defeat. And I'm trying to defeat Jezebel or any other fallacious spirit when the devil and every demon has already been defeated by Christ on the cross. He's the champion. I am not the champion. He is the champion. And he has already defeated these things. Am I still going to go through things in this world? Are you going to still go go through things in this world? Yes. Are you still going to face trial and tribulation? Yes. Are you still going to be betrayed and persecuted and suffer in some degree? Yes, you are. Don't believe the lies that you're not going to. It's going to happen. We are all going to face things in our lives that are unfair, that seem unfair. We're going to face things that are difficult, that are trying, that are going to be extremely hard. But guess what? When we're believers in Christ... We need not fear, and we don't have to fear having some demon jumping on us or indwelling us or 
overtaking us and then we have to have deliverance ministry. No, we open our Bibles and we get set free with the truth of the word of God, who is also Christ. (laughs) We are to follow Christ. We will face trial and tribulation, but as believers, we have great peace in knowing that Jesus has overcome the world including the ruler of this world that's mentioned in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus has already overcome him. Regardless of what we face, regardless, he has already overcome him. And we need not fear or look for spirits of men and women that are dead and long gone to their eternal destination. Listen, there's no Jezebel spirit that Jesus is giving time to repent right now. She's dead, and she doesn't have time to repent anymore. She's being dealt with already in, in eternal destruction. Her eternal destination is sealed. So we don't need to be fearful of these things. What we need to be doing, brothers and sisters in Christ, is repenting of sin and having our minds renewed by the Word of God daily. Be blessed today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.